0: Welcome to PS Editor's Podcast, where we engage PS contributors and other experts on some of the day's most pressing issues. I'm Greg Bruno, an associate editor at Project Syndicate in Prague. Today, we're talking about China. Chinese President Xi Jinping has made rooting out corruption a signature piece of his governing strategy. Since coming to power in 2012... Tens of thousands of party officials have been caught up in his anti-corruption dragnet. But vows to target corruption are as old as the modern Chinese state. During China's communist revolution, peasants supported the new regime in part because Mao Zedong promised a government that would be gongdao, fair and equitable. Today, however, corruption is a defining characteristic of Chinese politics and business. My guest today has spent years studying political and economic reform in China. Andrew Shang is a former chairman of the Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission, a former deputy chair of the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, and a distinguished fellow of the Asia Global Institute at the University of Hong Kong. Andrew is also a longtime PS columnist, and he has some thoughts on how China's president might succeed where others have failed. Let's give him a call. Hi, Andrew. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining us on uh, PS Editor's podcast today. Thank you. So let's get right to the conversation. You've written quite a bit about China's corruption challenges. Can you give us a brief overview of the Chinese president's current anti-corruption efforts?
1: Well, I think uh, President Xi
0: has put uh, anti-corruption
1: right at the kind of a heart of his uh, strategy to clean up the uh, uh, bureaucracy, uh, the party, and the military, right? You know, this has received uh, uh, quite a lot of uh, people's support because um, in the last, uh, let's say, 20 years, uh, corruption has reached a level in which the lot of people feel uh, that, you know, that uh, is unacceptable. Uh, uh, and the the strength of the anti-corruption campaign Particularly in the last five years, uh, when he assumed the, uh, you know, the leadership of the party, uh, uh, the scale, uh, uh, the depth, uh, and the length of the anti-corruption campaign, uh, is unprecedented in Chinese history, and that has uh, uh, brought him a lot of both uh, kudos uh, and popular support, uh, and that has also. Uh, clean up the uh, uh, administration uh, in order for him to build on the next five years, and that was the context in which the his nineteenth uh, party congress uh, uh, report was made.
0: Well, it's interesting. You, meant, you mentioned history. Um, the Chinese have been living with some form uh, of corruption for m- many years throughout history. In fact, I mean, I- imperial courts in the nineteenth century were rife with bribery. Uh, you know, more recently, there have been efforts to clean up the civil service and, and some of those issues uh, and promotion, um, cr- you know, anti-corruption drives have not been that successful. But I wonder, um, in a country like China that's often described as a fragmented model of government, how do you root out these cozy and often incestuous relationships? Well, you know, no,
1: no country uh, is free of corruption. All bureaucracies are prone to capture, Okay. Uh, all human beings are are susceptible to temptation, uh, greed, uh, for both position, uh, uh, power, uh, status, and, and and all the trimmings that come with it. What one does not appreciate is that um, the uh, the arrival of the uh, Communist Party, uh, the 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 succession to power in 1949, introduced a major. Uh, Bureaucratic or institutional innovation to Chinese uh, dynastic uh, structures uh, until the, the the demise of the Qing Dynasty in 1911, uh, competitive exams were the way to you know to 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 select the best and the brightest of Chinese talent uh, into the bureaucracy, and because they were infused with. Uh, the classics, uh, in which morality stands at the height of it at, at the at the core of it, the uh, there was always a perpetual struggle between the the, the morality of public service versus the individual uh, 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 greed and and the corruption of the system. Now, under the the imperial system of dynasties, it was not easy for a imperial family. To control this. And, um, you know, different uh, innovations by creating inspectorates, independent audit uh, commissions, uh, what they call censorate, uh, has not fully uh, uh, succeeded because it depended very much upon a uh, individual uh, uh, leadership within the uh, dynasty. The Communist Party uh, of China, actually was an institutional innovation because it was a highly disciplined uh, structure that, uh, that honed its uh, practical skills of controlling the military uh, during the long march uh, and then the civil war so the ability of the uh, party uh, organization to implement policy and making sure that policies implemented by the bureaucracy which in China uh, is huge, um, uh, was much more effective. Now, before the marketization of the economy, you know, this was relatively uh, uh, less of a problem. Corruption was less of a problem. And and the reason is that, you know, throughout history, um, the the state was roughly, you know, in terms of expenditure and revenue, was never more than 10% of GDP in, in cash terms. Right. Of course, you know, the uh, uh, people supplied the labor uh, on top of that. But as the market deepened, uh, particularly after the 79, 78, 79 reforms, uh, the opportunities of of corruption then rose uh, Mm. and and, uh, many, uh, uh, many cadres fell by the wayside. Right. So the the old uh, issues of uh, overspending, extravagant spending, you know, nepotism, uh, came back, and it reached a stage when Mr. Xi came in. He realized that th- this this was the root of the uh, legitimacy and credibility of the party, uh, and therefore he embarked on this uh, very necessary uh, and welcome uh, by the Chinese people the reforms, uh, which uh, I mean brought down uh, what what is co- what is commonly called both tigers. I mean, 440 right. people of the right. ministerial rank, and also the flies, and um, th- that means the, the lower level, you know, the d- d- disciplines. Yeah. So th- this is this is huge by any standards.
0: So it's interesting the differentiation between the imperial period and the communist period. One of the things that I think a lot of folks don't fully understand, and, and I use the word fragmented, from a top-down policy perspective the Communist Party uh, exerts a lot of control, but from a bottom-up implementation of those policies, there is often a lot of autonomy, especially on on economic issues. Um, One of the places that we see uh, some of the the biggest opportunity for local interpretation, but also for corruption, is on land policies. Um, Interestingly, rural land is often collectivized, and individuals uh, are not always fairly compensated when local governments take the land for development initiatives or agriculture, protests uh, have been increasingly common. Uh, and one could argue this is a type of response to a what is perceived locally a corrupt system. Can anti-corruption efforts currently underway address these types of systemic challenges? Well, th- there are two issues here. I think the first one is
1: the the laws relating to the bidding of um, of public lands, right? Um, uh, as you know, uh, the Chinese operate a system uh, of uh, land leases, not uh, perpetual uh, land being sold in perpetuity. So the the, the local governments actually uh, grant leases, okay? And uh, um, because they learned the uh, land as a revenue from the, uh, Hong Kong and Singapore city models, they actually have developed uh, fairly transparent, you know, uh, open bidding systems. But the trouble is, of course, that, you know, how you acquire such land from uh, whoever was using it before uh, for public uh, and then, you know, uh, the sale purposes uh, tends to be arbitrary, right? Right. The, 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 the point is that if this piece of land is needed for a highway, and the highway would bring lots of social benefits to the country, uh, that's not an issue. Uh, uh, the Chinese have been able to, the, even the, the, the farmers, uh, they may not be too happy about it, but by and large they've been compensated. And and because they see that that piece of land has been for public use, okay? And it has brought uh, uh, common prosperity, etc. Where they get very upset is that the land was acquired uh, at fairly low prices. And then suddenly, you know, sold to the highest bidder, and the developer then makes, you know, massive fortunes, uh, you know, from the sale of, you know, the apartments on the on on, on such land, and 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 then there is this great feeling of injustice, mm. and of course, uh, particularly when they, you know, you you've heard the story about the nail houses,
0: yeah,
1: uh, exactly, a, a single single house who refuses to or give out, yeah, were, were were the holdouts, uh, and then you know the local governments apply. Under common law would not be accepted, then this this brings a lot of grievances. So I think I think the corruption, you know, is at different levels. The areas where you know it's you know where they know how to use the market, that's uh, that there, there are good solutions to that. But at the same time, uh, the 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 way the policy the the, the city planning is done, uh, the choice of land for what use, etc., would be much more arbitrary and and much more prone to the kind of uh, uh, corruption issues, uh, which have surfaced, and that explains why, as an economy becomes more more market oriented and more complex, it needs a very different set of rules. You know, it's it's not easy to just to say, well, you know, let's let's borrow a set of rules and implement it, you know, in, in this country if that country has, doesn't have the same traditions of common law, etc. Right,
0: right, and that's
1: why people tend to forget within China, a lot of the uh, basis of law which was introduced, uh, you know, up, up the post-1911 uh, uh, reforms were very much based on uh, European continental law, not necessarily the Anglo-Saxon common law that, you know, most uh, 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 Western media refers to, right? And, and, and that, that, that continental laws uh, have, you know, diff- very different checks and balances, uh, within the system, uh, so to a large extent, the Chinese are still uh, uh, feeling the stones uh, by crossing the river mm. in in trying to establish what 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 they call the rule based system.
0: Right, corruption is a is a challenging issue for a, for any Chinese leader to deal with, given that many Chinese leaders are rarely squeaky clean themselves. We just have to remember revelations about the family uh, of uh, Wen Jiabao. To remember that. Um, so for Xi, I wonder, is this really about transparency and clean government, or is there something else going on? Is there potentially a desire for marginalization of political rivals, for example? Uh,
1: well, everybody who who undertakes that action will be accused of tackling uh, uh, political rivals. Um, this, this is true in any country, right? The issue here really is that I think within uh, his own upbringing, you know, for example, his father's uh, 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 very reformist and very uh, uh, idealistic uh, record, uh, Mr. Xi has very strong feelings about the need to get the, uh, the party uh, on the right uh, uh, moral and uh, nation-building track. It needs be of trying to get some of the toughest uh, guys Uh, That's what he's done. Now, you know, one will never be able to completely uh, uh, remove accusations by uh, uh, opponents that that this is for, you know, whoever's uh, uh, interests. The point is that for what uh, he perceives and what a lot of Chinese citizens perceive as the greater good for a cleaner, greener uh, society, uh, some tough measures had been taken. Some tougher measures were taken,
0: mm.
1: and, and and that's what the common phrase about gnawing the bones uh, really means. It means that you know if you really have to take the tough decisions, you just have to take the tough decisions. Mm. What's that phrase? Uh, 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 you have to, you know, you have to gnaw the bones. Uh, that means you know it, it's it's very tough, but you you still have to carry on.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, it's interesting in in that this issue plays really well with publics, and in a country like China, that's complicated to understand. The public opinion still matters, even in a very top-down authoritarian type uh, political structure. A public opinion is very important. Well, public opinion in China has always been important.
1: The Chinese have a you know a phrase which you know can be translated. Uh, in modern terms as public opinion uh it, it says you what the social debate is all about and and you know the the one of the things that kept the Chinese bureaucracy on track uh always has not just been the issue of morality but how one is judged by history right uh you know the the, the point is that if something you know a, a moment in time comes up, when you have to be judged by history and Chinese historians uh, from the time of the grand historian has upheld the tradition of uh, uh, trying to speak truth to power. Not that it always succeeds, because uh, uh, as we know, uh, even the grand historian's father uh, was beheaded uh, uh, for recording something not pleasant to to the emperor. But the, the issue has been that, you know, when, when because uh chinese leaders uh always understand that history looks looks upon them and will judge them uh they then take you know the important path forward uh a, 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 you know a simple example is that the the uh, rightly or wrongly the the communist party was seen as trying to defend china against the uh, uh, Japanese invaders during the Second World War, uh, and the Nationalist Party was seen as trying to get rid of its opponents first, mm. right? The morality of the issue was who stood up. And and therefore, I am not surprised um, that uh, this, this present generation of leadership is basically saying, look, you know, and you see this throughout the 19th Party Congress uh, uh, report that China needs to get back to, to its own you know greatness right right and there's, there's, a, there's a different debate on what that greatness means the Chinese uh, always feel that they are a civilization uh and that the it this it is due the civilization is due its respects uh, uh and it wasn't uh, given that respect uh when it was a very weak uh economic
0: uh, uh you know, uh, particularly in military power. Right. Yeah. The question of, of humiliation throughout history plays very strong. Um, yeah. You know, and the idea, maybe this is a good place to kind of turn to solutions and wrapping up, the promise that Mao Zedong and the Communist Party came forward with during uh, that period that you just referred to, was the idea of a Gong Dao government, a fair and equitable government. Um, uh, and for a while, it, it, it seemed to work, but, but here we are again uh, talking about rooting out corruption. So what makes she successful this time in, uh, in his drive to deal with this challenge that past, past leaders haven't been able to manage? Well, you know, the, the point is that, uh, as we know, social inequality
1: has worsened uh, everywhere, right? In, in, in the West, uh, inequalities have now reached a level in which, uh, you know, populist leaders have come up to disrupt uh, the establishment. To a large extent, you know, the 19th Party uh, Congress report was a recognition as well as a blueprint that the old uh, the old order has changed uh, and that China is at a turning point. And that if China wants to reach where it wants to uh, achieve as a what is now called a china dream but essentially a prosperous uh uh modern uh innovative and strong nation uh, uh major reforms need to be made and uh, uh and, and therefore uh in within their own terms uh they recognize uh that a strong party comes with it a disciplined party comes with it and um and and and, and that needs to uh, uh you know, make some very tough decisions on social inequalities. And and if you then look at the detailed work plan, you will see the need to uh, correct the uh, social inequities through improving social welfare, uh, social protection, uh, retirement schemes, uh, improving education, uh, excessive education, uh, dealing with the regional imbalances, uh, income and wealth imbalances um, uh, and all the things that many uh, societies, democratic or otherwise, talk about, but uh, have difficulty in achieving. So the the, the issue has uh, arisen in which uh, this uh, party congress has given the mandate uh, to the party to achieve this uh, with the full recognition that many of the uh, issues uh, and the legacies are, uh, give rise to new contradictions and new challenges that china has never encountered before mm. and let alone uh, country any country of that size so people tend to forget that um, the large country problems uh, will face the same issue india will face the same issue in which you have to eradicate, uh, you know, uh, uh, large-scale poverty, and how do you do this in an age of massive uh, technological disruption, uh, job destruction, etc., uh, etc., cetera, et cetera, uh, and in the front, in the, in the face of um, very uh, uh, challenging geopolitical uh, tensions, uh, at the same time with uh, very drastic climate change and demographic, demographic uh uh changes is a huge task hmm. so um the 19 party congress uh, report is a fairly realistic uh, uh blueprint uh that recognizes these uh in- internal challenges and contradictions hmm. and, and basically says look you know uh, if you want to be strong uh gird up your your muscles
0: uh and bones and get on with the job And that's what the report is essentially about. Well, it sounds like China's time is now and and the dream is within reach. Um, And the Chinese people are certainly behind their president. So that was a fascinating conversation. Uh, I'd like to thank you very much for your time today. Uh, Thank you. I I, I think one should not um,
1: uh, dismiss the fact that, you know, there are a lot of very, very difficult issues uh, within China. And uh, uh, I would like to say, you know, China is governed by the law of large numbers. Uh, if, if it is one-fifth of mankind, one-fifth of the world's problems uh, exist in China. And therefore, just, just changing them
0: is, has not been easy and will not be easy. That's a fantastic place to leave it, um, one-fifth of the world's problems. Uh, as they say, Godspeed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Thank you. Well, Andrew, thanks very much. That was fantastic. Thank you. All right, see you next time. That was Andrew Shang, a distinguished fellow of the Asia Global Institute at the University of Hong Kong. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review our podcast and subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you like our content, our annual magazine is available for order now. Head on over to our website, ProSin.org, to order your copy.